So, Rebecca, I have some questions from patrons for you to answer. What do you say, Rebecca? Let's do it. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist, and I'm also a professor. Who are you, Rebecca? I'm Rebecca Bloom, and I once was a professor, but now I'm just a therapist. Right. That's how we met. We were the two (laughs) young people by at least 20 years at the university at the age of 40, we were the young people who understood computers better than anyone else. <laughs> and we liked the same music, too. Yeah. Rebecca, here's a question about parenting. Mm. Anonymous patron, she writes, When my friend's husband is critical toward <clears throat> their 12-year-old kid and the kid's feelings are visibly hurt, mm-hmm. my friend reacts by going mama bear protective and either criticizing her husband or defending their child. Mm-hmm. I've, I've read that undermining your partner in front of your kids is not a good idea. So what can she do in this dynamic to comfort her child without scolding or putting down her husband? What she's doing now just results in her husband being more mad and, mm-hmm. doesn't, and doesn't create any safety for the child. In post-chat, he states... She's too soft in post chat. He states she's too soft. She states he she she states he's too hard on him. So it goes nowhere. What should she do? She's willing to make change, and but no, she can't really change him. What do you think, Rebecca? You know these dynamics happen all the time. Um, Sometimes parents feel like they're doing a kid a favor by not like going soft on them that this criticism is somehow important for the child's development. So the other parent, you know, you could kind of lean in and just give a hug. I mean, these dynamics are probably really complicated. Like, why is this going down in front of the kids anyways? So it probably needs to be solved with the parents figuring out the parental difficulties when the kid's not there. Does that make sense? Yeah, I agree with all that. The only thing I'll add to that is... The best way one can parent as a team is to have very frequent conversations away from the kids. I don't know how any parents don't I don't know how any parents parent without having those conversations. It's so hard to parent in general, let alone when someone else has a completely different idea of what is supposed to be done. And the only way that you can avoid the risk of undermining and avoid the risk of hurting your spouse's feelings is to have those conversations away from the kids. And it might take a year before you get to a place where you feel like you're working together as a team. The solution is not to suppress your feelings because that's not going to help. And also the solution is not to blast your uh, spouse in front of your kids. That it's not just that it hurts your spouse's feelings, but it makes your child feel bad. When, you're, when children see you, you two fighting, it makes them feel bad. It makes them worry about their relationship, you know, your relationship with your spouse. It makes them question things a lot more. You know, you don't want, you don't want kids questioning your authority. <laughs> you, want, you want kids to, to just sort of be like, well, that's just the way things are, you know. Unless your rules are really stupid, but, you know, typically they're not. You know, bedtime's at 8 for your child. Bedtime could be 9 
you're not neglecting your child by having a bedtime of nine. In fact, some of his friends might have bedtimes at nine. So, but you have to draw the line somewhere. And, you know, you've decided eight o'clock is where you draw the line. Well, if you have the two parents debating that in front of the kid, the kid's going to go, oh, I didn't know this was a debate. Well, every time you tell me to go to bed, I'm going to debate that that line because you've just revealed to your child that it's debatable by having a debate between the parents in front of the child. Now, parenting is weird. There's, there's ways that you can debate in front of a kid that would be helpful. But bottom line, if you have conflict about parenting, dedicate at least a half an hour every night. Maybe you don't have to capitalize on that every day, but you have a space to talk about that. Hey, that thing you did earlier today, it kind of bothered me. And here's the way I would have done it. But, you know, you have to also just respect your spouse. They're half of the executive system and you can't tell them what to do. You can only try to work with them. You can try to convince them. This also involves like the status of your relationship. Do you have good communication? Do you trust and love each other to begin with? Do you have, have you had, you know, positive models presented to you about how to have these conversations? These are, I've worked with couples for years on this very issue. How do you talk about parenting of kids? Because the other thing is, is even if you did have conversations and you decided on an approach, every parent loses their shit now and then. And what do you do when you watch your spouse losing their shit? (laughs) What's the procedure? Because you could calculate, well, I know I'm not supposed to undermine, but my spouse is losing their shit and I'm not going to let that go any further. (laughs) So I'm going to step in on that. These are very complicated things that have to be discussed in detail in a calm, loving respectful way outside of the child. Yeah. And usually they are very um, deeply emotionally bound. Like I am making this choice to say this to my kid because I fear if I don't, you know, their lives will go downhill from here. Like people tend to kind of intervene and discipline their child because they think they're helping so it's really hard to argue about when one parent says, hey, I'm helping, and the other parent says, no, you're just being an asshole. Right. Like, these things can get very loaded very quickly. So I'm just going to chime in here for the listeners. I hear a little bit of a distorted static noise from Rebe- when Rebecca talks a little bit. It's, it's, that doesn't happen very often. It happens like once a minute. So I just want people to know that I hear that too. If it's not there, it's because I managed to edit it out. So I have some art therapy questions for you, oh. Rebecca. What can people do art therapy-wise now while they're listening at home to help them during these difficult times? So the art medium that I suggest to clients most often for hours of mindless losing yourself is Zen Tangle. Have you ever heard of Zen Tangle? No. So there are these little, it's actually copyrighted, which is hysterical. And an art therapist did not invent it. There are these little three by three cards and they teach you a little pattern and how to repeat it. And all the patterns can work together and you can make them big and you can make them small And so if you're looking for something that kind of takes, and I put this in air quotes, no talent, like anybody can do this, uh, Zentangle is a great place to start. So if you're just looking for something to like pass the time, 
Um, that's something I highly recommend. Uh, I also have an ever-growing Pinterest board, Rebecca Depplum, uh backslash art therapy that has thousands. I think it's. I think I'm over a thousand of easy art directives. Uh, you probably have the supplies at home, and then tons of mental health infographics that might inspire you to do something. And then I've been posting probably once a week, or no, I'm sorry, like every other day on my Facebook business page, which is unfortunately Square the Circle Workbook, easy art therapy ideas that have either just a worksheet or probably have supplies that you have at home. Um, does that answer or should I keep going? Well, I was actually uh, reading an article today that I want to run past you about dreaming. Mm. A Psychology Today, written by Kelly Bukkelly. Kelly, common themes in dreams about the pandemic. So, have you had any dreams about the pandemic? Yes. Oh, what? <laughs> you answered that very quickly. What? What sort of dreams have you had? <laughs> well, I had one right away. So, I think I've said on the podcast, my son's girlfriend lives very close to what was once the center of the outbreak. It was an elder care facility on the east side, and way before we were on lockdown. I had a dream that it was my job to lead an art therapy group at that place. And the dream is just me sitting outside being like, and seeing all the people in the hazmat gear and being like, Oh my God, this is my job. I have to go in there and run an art therapy group. So it was clearly just my anxiety, like working it out. Any, any other dreams related? Oh my God. I've had really weird dreams. Uh huh. But none that were like that crystal clear. Yeah. For... I had a dream definitely about it, but it's, I remembered it when I first woke up, but I failed to write it down. So now I don't remember it anymore. And I remember thinking, oh, I should write this down because it's so obviously about the pandemic. I think it was something like I was in a crowd of people and some people definitely had it and I was mm -hmm. starting to come down with it or something. So they did some research asking people about the sort of uh, dreams that they had, and they found this. So num the number one type is fear of catching the disease. Mm -hmm. So this includes worries about being tested, social distancing, isolation, and infecting others. So they have some examples here of different dreams people had about in this category. I had a dream, I got it, and had to isolate myself from everyone, another person, I dreamt that someone came closer than six feet to me without my mm -hmm. permission, and I freaked out at them. It's, mm -hmm. a, it's such a unique experience these days, you know, to get out of the house in my neighborhood. A lot of people are walking, and so me and my wife will walk with the dog. Uh, we've always been walking with the dog, and I've never seen so many people on the street in my neighborhood before. It's really annoying on a number level because uh, some people don't know how to stay distant from other people. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it matters so much, but it, it just feels disrespectful or annoying. It's just like, just follow the rules. The other thing is that that's sort of bothering me is like, we as a neighborhood, for whatever reason, have not decided which side of the road everyone's going to walk on. Because if everyone walked on, you know, the left side or the right side, then we wouldn't have to switch sides of the street, right? Mm -hmm. You would be walking behind people, but you know, you could sort of slow down and make sure they're sufficiently in, ahead of you. 
But right now, the situation when I'm walking in the neighborhood is I'm I feel like I'm in this like weird slalom co- course where I have to, you know, because some people walk on the right side, some people walk on the left side. I don't really care which side people choose, but it, it just seems like there should. Be, and I feel like people are starting to gravitate towards the left, which makes sense because that's what you learn when you're in grade school. Uh, but still, you know, I don't know. I'm, I just, uh, I'm just getting annoyed with people. The other thing, I'm just getting annoyed with people just being walking around my neighborhood. It's just like, where do you people come from? You know, because six months ago, you you weren't here. Uh, <laughs> they were in their cars. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. What about you? Are you walking around your neighborhoods? Yeah. So my neighborhood is one of the walking hubs of Seattle. I'd probably say, so I'm near Seward Park, probably like near the Brook Gilman Trail, near Green Lake. These are the type of neighborhoods that attract walkers because you have this major destination to get to. Yeah. I mean, Seward Park, I've never lived close. Or no, I know I lived on Beacon Hill, which is kind of close, but I've never lived close to Seward Park. But I have frequently gone out of my way just to go to your neighborhood and walk around. It's such a great neighborhood. Yeah. So what's so what's interesting in our neighborhood is it's like. There's a lot going on in my neighborhood. There's a lot of older people who've been here forever. There's a lot of conservative Jewish people who it's hard to say hello to those folks across gender lines and all kinds of things are going on there. Uh, So we have found, like, do people say hi back to us? When we say hi, like, that's just my way. Like, if I'm out and about, like, I'll just say hi to somebody. But now it's, like, much more loaded. Like, did they say hi back? Why or why not? Are they worried about you? Are you worried about them? Like, just kind of going outside has taken on a different vibe than, are they wearing masks? Are you wearing a mask? Should you say hi? <laughs> it's just like, there's a whole lot more thinking going on. Have you noticed the side of, I mean, your neighborhood has sidewalks, so I guess you probably get pretty close to people on the sidewalk, right? Well, our neighborhood, maybe because we're super walkers, is so respectful I have never had anyone get close to me. Oh, okay. Either as people are approaching, they'll get off the street. And some of this is like there's no cars the way that there usually are. Um, or I'll get off the street. I would say if you want to have so- a social distancing lesson, come to Seward Park. Cause... So yeah. I, had a, I had an interesting internet experience. Okay. I'm a small uh, public poster on... Facebook in terms of my personal page. But during this epidemic, epidemic, every day for weeks now, I've been posting one mental health post and one uh, art therapy post, which I also post that art therapy post on my business page. And for the first time, I had a post that was shared more than it was liked. Does that make sense? Yeah which has never happened to me before. And so I just did a little research. I'm like, why is this image so powerful? So it's from this woman's um, Instagram page, uh, Miley Gomez licensed, what's LPC? Licensed professional Professional counselor. Right. So it says trauma, she does these cute little infographics. And it says trauma shows up in your life as procrastination, resistance, brain fog, not feeling good enough, fear of failure, trouble asking for help, scattered thoughts, needs to plan for everything, fear of success. This post for her has almost 37,000 likes. Um, So clearly it's speaking very deeply to people 
that all these weird <laughs> ways that you feel in your body and in your mind right now are completely normal because we're going through one of the largest collective traumas of our generation. You posted something and it has tens of thousands of likes or no, shares? No, no. She does. Oh. Hers. The original source material has almost 37. Mine, if I get 20 likes, <laughs> it's the big time. But I just thought it was really interesting that her that this post really spoke to a lot of people. And I was wondering if you found that too right now. Like people just want information of why they feel so crappy. I have been reading probably 25 articles, maybe more, on the coronavirus from all the different angles, including how I'm supposed to feel. I just feel like I want to get a lay of the land or something. There's something reassuring about knowing what's happening out there or something, even though every day there's not much change. I mean, week Mm -hmm. to week there's changes, but day to day there really isn't. And uh, I don't know. What about you? How are you consuming information? Uh, It's gotten less and less as I realize the same thing that you have, like things are just bad and they're not going to get better real fast. Um, but I think these kind of one-pagers of, like, you're in a trauma response are really helpful to me right now, and then it's interesting to see that they're helpful to my friends, that there's kind of a level of basic normalization. Like, you may feel like you're going crazy, but that's okay. That's just really helpful to people right now. Yeah. So if there's one thing that you could say art therapy-wise that people could do related to the coronavirus, walk us through that. What would that look like? Mm. Well, the most effective directive I know for grief and loss is using watered-down glue and colored tissue paper. So if you've got that tissue paper lying around that like you wrap presents in or any kind of thin paper like rice paper mulberry paper it works really well on a paper plate and just rip it up into tiny pieces and start gluing layers and layers and layers and the glue will kind of pull the colors a little bit and there's something about it that's so restful it's a directive that i do in my large grief and loss workshops It's a directive I've done for groups that have experienced extreme loss. And it's really, really effective in calming the nervous system back down, which is what we all need right now. So you take like Elmer's glue and you water it down? Mm -hmm. Like half water, half glue. And then you get tissue paper and you dip it in the glue and attach it? You use a paintbrush. Okay. You could dip it. That's going to get messy, though. So you, like, paint the whole paper plate with the watered-down glue, and then you just start sticking tissue paper to it? You put the little scrap of tissue paper down, and then you use the paintbrush to adhere uh, it. So you like go... Like a decoupage. Uh, I have no idea what that... But it, it soaks through the tissue and yes. gets to the other side and sticks it to the icy. Yeah, that sounds fun. It's really fun. Now, just a little... Uh, the color will run and it will run on your fingers. So if they're what you call tactile intolerant, uh, you probably want to do this with gloves on. What's something that people could do if they just had like a black pen and a piece of paper? 
So you could draw a line that represents your breath at the beginning, and then you could do something that makes you feel better, like watch your favorite show or go out for a run, and draw a line that represents your breath after that activity. Mm. And you could notice what was different between one and the other. So a line representation of the vibe of your breath. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And actually, the thing that I've that some people have found is make a card and send it to the send it to your favorite hospital. If you send it to the chaplain department at your at a hospital that's near you, it will and say like this is for the medical staff to see. They will deliver it. And maybe using your art to tell someone else who's working so hard and doing something so scary that they're doing a good job would help you feel better. Could someone draw a picture of their emotions or something? Is there something like that? I mean, you can draw a worry monster. Okay. That's fun. If you've got some googly eyes, that's always good. Uh, You could draw a container that could hold your anxiety. Oh, I like that one. What would what would you tell someone with that one? That's all you say is draw a container that can hold your anxiety. What do you draw? Just the container or do you draw mm-hmm. the anxiety inside the container? It's up to the person. Okay. Cool. So do that, people. And if you want, obviously, voluntarily, you can send that to us. If you tell me to forward it to Rebecca, I will. Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she's not going to treat you or analyze it, but just to share and get it out there. But I will analyze Kirk's drawing. Yeah, he's, I texted Good it to Lord, you. Are you a Virgo? You are so balanced. It's crazy. Okay, well, your your image is very balanced. Okay. <laughs> so I don't know if you noticed, but we... Recently gave out some scholarships. Did you know that? I know. It's so awesome that you do that. Yeah. Well, it's so awesome that the patrons are patrons because they allow us to, you know, the the scholarship money comes from the patrons. So it's really the, the patrons that are doing it. So unless if people want to find out more information about, we've given out four scholarships. That's amazing. So far of 2000 or $2,500 a piece. That's great. And... Of all the charity work that we've done with the podcast, I find this to be extremely rewarding because I just write a check, you know, from my personal checking account <laughs> to these people. And it just feels so good to be like, you know, because they, they'll write these essays. And one of the questions is like, well, why do you need this money? And these people are just like, I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills because of blah, blah, blah. And to get $2,000 is, you know, it helps. It's not a total windfall, but definitely helps them along their way. And also these, you know, the two people that we got um, scholarships to this time, one woman is uh, in Canada and she is going to UBC and she's from India and from a very small town. And so she's been doing a lot of good work and she wants to go back to India to help with this you know, lack of services in in her area growing up. And another woman uh, who is getting um, actually this, uh, well, no, so the the Indian woman is getting a scholarship that was actually donated 
uh, an anonymous patron just gave us $2,000 and said, like, Aww. you know, do something with this. And I was like, well, how about we do a scholarship? And then she was like, yeah, it sounds great. So one of the scholarships is actually the $2,000 is just from an anonymous patron who wants to make a difference, which is fantastic. The other woman who got a scholarship uh, is uh, a young woman who is queer, who grew up in the Bible Belt, as she puts it, and really wants to make a difference in the world and already has. She was in AmeriCorps and she had all these uh, people saying how wonderful she is and how much she dedicates her life and volunteers her time and... I don't know, just, it's just great to see people out there doing wonderful things in our field, and it feels great to you know, be a little assistance along their journey. You know, there, there's so many people out there sacrificing their time and their careers <laughs> and their checkbooks and their you know, financial viability options to try to help people in need, and it, it just feels good to recognize those, those people. Because, you know... There's a lot of different things you could go to school for, and some of them (laughs) enhance the world, and some of them don't. Right. So it's 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 good to it's just good to see. It's just good to it's just inspirational to to see to hear about these people's lives and their choices. So. Yeah, I mean, did you ever think that being a therapist, you would have as much impact as you feel like you do now? No, there's no way. I mean, I I never thought I was going to be a podcaster. I thought. It was going to be one client at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would like to think that with the podcast, I've reached so many more people. And no, there's no way. I I don't know what I... Th- it's interesting to think back. I mean, I was just 24. So, you know, I was mostly a just a young douchebag at the time. So who knows what I was thinking. I was, I was probably more concerned about... Girls. Well, and looking cool and having a cool job, you know. Uh, but no, I mean, I, I definitely did want to make a positive difference. I, I just don't, I don't know. Sometimes I judge my 24-year-old self, but then I'll read my journal and I'll be like, oh, you know, I was an all douchebag. Um, no, I didn't. Partial. Did you know how much you were going to I had no idea. Zero. I mean, I wanted to. I, I, I had so many people model to me what it was to make a difference, and I wanted to be part of that legacy, but it kind of blows me away now. How meaningful your clients consider you to be. Yeah, and the feedback that I get from this podcast, or like someone ordered the other day, someone ordered 15 of my books at one time. Really? Yeah, and they didn't say who they were or what they were going to do with them, but I was like, Damn. <laughs> so for There's people something. out there, if they want to get your book, you have two books on Amazon. What, what's it, yes. what are they called? So there's uh, Square the Circle, which is all that stuff that we were going through, all those art therapy ideas. There's really good ones in the book, and I actually explain them and show examples. Um, and then there's the Vicarious Trauma. Uh, it's kind of a nightmarish tale for adults. Um, it's kind of... Part uh, watercolor illustrated, part workbook um, about how to process what you've seen on the job. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I just, it's just kind of amazing. And every once in a while, someone will write me and be like, Your book was so helpful. I use it all the time. And it's like, That's really cool because I don't know you. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, so, yeah. So I have one final question, anonymous patron. She we can stop rambling. She asks, have you ever asked for a referral for a queer therapist? I only ask because I am queer, and I have been trying to find a new therapist, particularly one that has in-depth understanding of some issues around being queer. I know many therapists put LGBT-friendly or something mm-hmm. along those lines on their Psychology Today profile, but I don't know if that means they have had formal training or they just feel they have experience with this particular population. I'm not opposed to a straight therapist, I think, but my last therapist was straight, and when I was discussing my complicated feelings towards straight people, she defended straight people in, oh. a, in a way. I would really like to find someone to work through the anger and frustration I feel when I think of straight people as a concept rather than individuals, since I know that I love and care for many straight people and I don't think fighting hate with hate helps anything. Mm-hmm. Is there any formal training I can look to see if a therapist has? If not, is it okay to look for only queer therapists or would that prevent a corrective experience from happening? Rebecca, what do you think? Uh, I think that you, this is very common um, that people who are members of a subgroup want people that truly understand their experiences. Um, Taharji, I'm going to slaughter her name. She's the woman that's in um, Empire. Uh, she started a referral service just for African-American people to find African-American therapists. So if you're not feeling like your therapist is able to reflect or truly understand your community, you have every right to really ask. Um, and there's a long history uh, in the LGBT movement of really self-identifying. Um, so often on people's websites, they if they're not strictly Jung- or Freudian trained, they'll, they'll state that they actually are a member of the community. Um, so I think you should look. I mean, I really notice a difference. There are certain nuances <laughs> that you only know from being part of the community, and lots of people are supportive, and that's great. But sometimes you really want a member of your own community. Yeah. So, and many major metropolitan cities have some kind of business listing for. Uh, queer business owners so you could look up something like that or there's probably um a a queer therapist website that you could look for um it does get complicated because you're usually you you can be one or two people away from each other um but it's sometimes it's really worth it yeah and the next the nice thing is that queer people are more likely to become therapists. So there's a lot more representation in our field of queer people. I don't know the exact stats, but um, so that's a nice thing. It's still a minority in our field, but um, I would imagine in most metropolitan areas, there's a good amount of LGBT therapists. And yeah, I totally get that. I mean, I, you know, I'm straight and I, put LGBTQ plus friendly on my disclosure statement. And I would like to think that I, uh, from an outsider, can empathize and not defend straight people. If, you know, if I had a client, a queer client that was angry and frustrated, I would like to think that I have enough awareness not to defend straight people for crying out loud or to get defensive about it. 
Um, and as a person of color myself, I know what it's like to speak. I mean, just the other day I was talking about how, you know, I said something like, well, as a person of color and someone's like, you're not a person of color. And I'm like, I'm half, I'm half Asian. And they're like, that, that's not a person of color. Oy. And it's, you know, it's like Asians aren't people of color essentially is what they were saying. Mm-hmm. And adamant, you know, not like, not like, um, not like, oh, I'm being stupid and I should shut up now. Yeah. Like, just, just <laughs> adamant. And this is like, a, this is a friend, someone who presumably likes me, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, all I could do is, all I could do is just like, I, I, when I get that, my tendency, I just play along. I'm just like, yeah, you know, a common joke I'll say just to make it go away is, you know, Japanese people are more white than white people. You know, it's kind of a funny joke because <laughs> uh, they are shittier dancers. They're better. They earn more money. They're more uptight than white people. And, and um, you know, it's just a stereotype. It's just a silly thing that I say. But, but you know, I've absolutely well, experienced the other is otherization of society. And as a kid growing up in the 70s and the 80s, I absolutely was called a chink, a Chinaman, and attacked physically because of the fact that I wasn't white entirely and grew up in a community with hardly anyone who wasn't white. And although on the scale of things, I, I wasn't that bad, but you know, I, I earned my stripes as a fucking person of color, you know? <laughs> so. Amen. Well, and I, I mean, that drives me crazy too. When a person that's not in my group when I speak about my own experience and then they have to define it for themselves. I find this happens a lot when I say like, you know, in a lesbian relationship, it's hard because X, Y, Z. And someone will say, oh, that happens in all relationships. And like, I don't know why they feel like they have to say that. But sometimes I just want to yell, like, let me define my experience, please. I live it every fucking day. Right. Like, there's a sense that they feel like, you know, dismissing you is is somehow going to make you feel better when actually it makes you feel horrible. Yeah. I've probably done that. I I can imagine myself doing that at times. Um, Without. I would let you know. Okay. (laughs) You've never done it. Okay. Well, to you, I guess. (laughs) Um, So, you know, thanks for letting me know about that one. Um, I mean, I wouldn't do it to demean anyone or to take away someone's experience, but I might do it in a weird attempt to sort of relate or something, but it's good to know. Um, so I, I understand. So I would like to think that although I'm not queer, I could absolutely identify with the feeling of, um, just anger and frustration that you feel towards a dominant group or the oppression that you feel and, and just the ongoing, anger and hurt that you feel. And, um, but having said that, like you said, Rebecca, there's something about living it that you will feel in your bones that will come across to a client when you really throw down with a client in that way, you know, for, for you as a lesbian to talk to a lesbian or LGBT client, um, it's in your bones, the empathy that you have. Whereas for me, I'd have to relate it to something like to racism or something. And that's similar, but not the same. And 
so absolutely anonymous patron if if you're looking for that that's totally fine and and absolutely i have people have asked me that you know they've they've been like um are you queer yourself or can you refer to me to a lgbt therapist absolutely there's steps it was way more relevant in the past honestly or i don't know way more but it was very relevant when i first started as a therapist in the 90s yeah. because it was such a dangerous world uh it still is but it was way more dangerous in the 90s in seattle anyway and it back then it was um you know almost recommended it's like oh you, you probably shouldn't see a straight therapist you know you should Probably let's let's find someone in your community who you can trust, because even allies whom there were few of will probably not really get it. Well, and so this is very interesting. So there's a major healthcare system on the West Coast called Kaiser. Uh, they just took over Group Health in Seattle. Yeah, that's mine. That's it's mine as well. Um, and they have this new thing. It's, it's not new anymore. It's about five years old. Where they stated that all of their providers are so tr- well trained in the LGBT issues that they're all marked as knowledgeable. And I've had clients who are coming to me through that system saying, "I don't like that. Like I, <laughs> like I want more than to know that you're knowledgeable." Because as you said, like there's. There's, you know, there's trainings you can go to that are perfectly good. Um, But how much is the provider really going to know? And so I thought it was really interesting that Kaiser did that. I think they thought they were doing that to say, like, wow, look at how progressive we are. Um, But it's actually made it a little bit complicated for the consumer. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's ridiculous that every single practitioner, (laughs) that's, that's, that's not possible, you know? You you put a hundred people in a room and you give them a training, uh, a good percentage of them are not going to be swayed because there's still a lot of hostility out there. At the very least, a, mis- a lot of misunderstanding. So, I mean, if, if that's what you're saying, right? Kaiser just said all of our people are good with LGBTQ people. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's idiotic. That's like one of the most <laughs> ignorant things you could possibly have said. Now, I could see saying a thing like. We're doing our best to, uh, you know, provide training and competencies or something or to – I don't know how you'd word it because competencies has a certain problematic um, connotation that's like, oh, now I'm competent. It's like, no, you're not. Um, so what do you do there? But uh, it would take a particular ignorant person and I could just – I just can imagine, you know, the marketing people or the upper – uh, admin people i'm going to be ageist but an older white male of like we figured it out you know <laughs> let's announce to all of our pay all of our customers that every one of us is good with lgbtq people and we've erased that problem from the books like what that doesn't make any sense there's just no way that that's possible yeah that's what i thought too um, and I think that in many communities, there's still a network, um, you know, that you know to ask around. Maybe someone's been out longer than you have. Maybe they've lived in the community longer than you have. Maybe they work at a training facility and they would know people. Um, a lot of, like, I'm assuming 
that um, Gay City has a list that they share with people who ask. You know, there's there's a lot of ways that marginalized communities have figured how to do this. Um, so anonymous patron, I would just say, yeah, ask around. Um, I, I hope there's an answer out there. For yeah. You. Hey, everyone out there, let us know <gasps> what you think. What do you think about things? Do you, have you had brain fog? Have you been, uh, have you done anything about it? What do you do with parenting? Do you work with your spouse? Remember all that time ago when we talked about that? That felt like hours ago. Do you care about queer referrals? Is the, does that matter to you? And do you use art therapy? If you use art, if you did some of the things that Rebecca did, uh, let us know how that went. Comment below. Email me. Go to psychologyseattle.com, Click on the contact page. And if you say forward this to Rebecca, I'll do that. And everyone out there, please take care of yourself during these troubling times. Why should they do that, Rebecca? We are not going to get through this unless we're a community through this. Never in my lifetime have I seen that more than I've seen it in the last few weeks. (laughs) 